The author and preacher Frederick Beekner, he says that we can't understand the good news of the gospel until we grapple with the bad news that it brings along with it. For, as he puts it, the gospel is bad news before it is good news. It is the news that man is a sinner, to use the old word, that he is evil in the imagination of his heart, that when he looks in the mirror, what he sees is at least eight parts chicken, phony, slob. But, of course, you might say, well, that really isn't news at all. Who would disagree with such a statement? Who thinks that there isn't something terribly wrong with the world around us? It's true that we, we do live in a deeply divided time, and there's a great deal on which we loudly and strongly disagree. But if there is anything that it, we can all agree on, surely it's the observation that things are not as they should be. And in that sense, the world in which we live, it's, it's not really that different from the world of ancient Rome when Paul originally wrote his letter. People back then, they also recognized that there was something wrong with the world. They were well acquainted with pain and grief and hunger. They could look around them and see the effects of anger and violence and greed in society. So why then, after his introductory remarks in chapter 1, why does Paul begin his letter to the Romans by talking about the bad news of human sin? Why does he talk about, about the, the presence, the reality of envy and strife and deceit and slander and violence? Does he really think that people don't realize how messed up the world around them is? That what everyone really needs is just for him to tell them how bad they really are? You know, you might think so, at least judging by the way we Christians talk sometimes. After all, that's kind of what we do, isn't it? We spend a lot of time talking and complaining about just how bad the world is, or, or at least how bad it's become in recent years. And by listening to how often we talk about it, you might think that this is an essential part of the Christian gospel. That before we can share the good news with people, we have to share with them the bad news. And to do that, we have to convince everyone around us of just what an awful state we're in. And you might think that's what Paul is doing here in Romans chapter 1, that he's trying to explain to these early Roman Christians just how bad things have really gotten. But that's not quite right. Now, it is true that at the end of chapter 1, he includes a, a long list of vicious behaviors in human sense. But his point isn't just to say that the world is full of sinners, as if such an announcement would surprise anyone. No, what, what Paul is doing in this chapter is something more profound. He's not just telling ancient Romans that their world is broken and filled with sin and tragedy. He's telling them why, about what has brought about this tragic state of affairs. And that's what we're going to focus on in this session. That's the question we're going to try to answer. What is Paul's diagnosis of the cause of human sin? And why does it matter? 
Now, I'm going to focus our attention on the latter part of Romans chapter 1, on the section that begins in verse 18 and ends with verse 32. But before we look at that section, it's, it's helpful to remember those two verses that I discussed in the last session. Those two verses that, that I said function as a kind of thesis statement for the letter as a whole, where Paul talks about the gospel being the power of salvation for all who believe. And he says that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, it's helpful to keep that statement in mind because you can see how much it parallels what he then goes on to say in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Paul's main message is about the righteousness of God. But before he can talk about that, he must begin by talking about the unrighteousness of human beings. Now, there's a lot that can be said about Paul's commentary on human unrighteousness in this passage but I'd like to focus on two themes. First, as I mentioned, what does Paul tell us about the cause of human sin? And then secondly, what we learn about the nature or the character of sin. So first, where does unrighteousness come from? What is the cause of the evil that we see in the world around us? Well, in verses 19 to 23, Paul identifies what he considers to be the, the cause or the source of human unrighteousness when he says that even though the reality of God has been known since the beginning of creation, and even though the, the eternal power and divine nature are apparent to those who care to take notice, nevertheless, he says, humans have failed, have refused to pay attention. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This, according to Paul, is the root of all human error, all foolish behavior, all dangerous and destructive desires, all the conflict and the confusion that we see around us. It all comes down to this, that human beings don't honor or give thanks to God. Now, that might sound like a, a rather odd diagnosis to many people today. After all, we have our own alternative explanations for the misery and misbehavior that we see in society. In fact, we have a wide variety of explanations. Some people say that it's the conditions and the context in which people grow up and in which they live their life. That's the cause of their misbehavior. It's the society around them. That's why they are the way they are. Now, others say, no, the problem isn't so much society or the culture in which people live or broken family systems. Well, those things might play a part, but, but really the chief cause is biological. It's the chemical and physiological state of our brains it's the way that our neural networks form and the influence of chemicals like dopamine and serotonin and endorphins. That's, that's what makes us act the way that we do. That's what leads to, to foolish choices and bad behavior. Uh, still, others might say, no, the real problem, 
The real problem is just a lack of education. People just don't know what they should know. Or the real problem is that the people are just too passive, that they're not taking responsibility for themselves and their lives. Or the real problem is that they just don't have any good role models, or that they don't have the resources they need, or that they're just not trying hard enough. Now, there are a lot of diagnoses for the problems of bad and foolish behavior. And today, we spend a lot of time debating those diagnoses and suggesting different kinds of cures. And Paul, Paul's not discounting the truth in some of those. But his diagnosis is very different. He thinks that the, the real root problems in our lives, that the root problem isn't just the culture around us or chemical imbalances in our brain or a lack of education or a lack of determination. No, the real problem, the, the root cause of all human error is that we forget God that we refuse to honor or give thanks to Him, and that we turn to other things as the source of provision or protection in our lives. Now, interestingly, Paul is not the first biblical author who thought this. The author of Proverbs famously said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That Conversely, this also means that not fearing the Lord, not honoring Him, not thanking Him, well, that must be the beginning of foolishness. And elsewhere, biblical authors will repeatedly emphasize that, that idolatry, the worship of something other than God, that's what leads to injustice in human behavior and in society. And Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses explicitly warns the people of Israel not to forget the Lord, not to to neglect, to honor or thank him as they should. Moses warns them that they must remember, never forget God's provision and protection of them in the wilderness. To not begin to rely on other things like their own strength or wisdom or, or the power of armies and kings. Now, why does Moses, why does Moses in Deuteronomy spend so much time talking about this duty to remember, to not forget. It's because he recognizes, just like Paul, that the root cause of folly and error and misbehavior and tragedy in our lives lies in our forgetfulness of God, in our failure to remember Him and give Him thanks as we should. That, for Paul, that is the cause, not, not just of idolatry, but of all kind of misery that we face in society. So that's the cause of unrighteousness. But what we might ask, what does Paul have to say about the nature or character of unrighteousness? Well, of all the things that Paul says in this chapter, of all the things that he talks about, in fact, for that matter, of all the things that Paul says in the whole of the book of Romans, there is perhaps nothing that has been more debated and more controversial in recent years than what he says about homosexuality in verses 26 and 27. But as controversial as it is, I actually think that what Paul says here is very telling about how he understands the nature or character of sin as a whole. 
Now let me explain. First, here's what Paul says. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Now, some modern commentators who dislike the implications of what Paul is saying here, some have argued that, that what Paul has in mind isn't so much committed gay or lesbian relationships, since that was practically unknown in the Roman world. But rather, what Paul has in mind is the, is the kind of abusive and manipulative relationships that often existed, where Roman men would use male slaves or young boys for their sexual pleasure. Now, of course, such actions are indeed terrible. And Paul, no doubt, would have been horrified that this kind of thing frequently took place in Roman culture. But there is no good reason to think that is exclusively what he has in mind in these verses. He doesn't say anything about abusive acts. Instead, he talks about sexual desire of women for other women and men for other men, a desire that he says that he calls unnatural. Now this, the fact that he calls it unnatural, this has led some other, other modern scholars to suggest that what Paul has in mind here isn't the desire that a homosexual person might experience, since even the idea that there were homosexual people, that there were people who were only exclusively attracted to, to people of the same sex as themselves, that, that wasn't really something known or talked about in Paul's time. Instead, these scholars have thought, what Paul must have in mind here is heterosexual people who are engaging in homosexual activity, activity that isn't natural for them because they're heterosexual. Again, though, this isn't a very good reading of the text, because when Paul talks about exchanging natural relations with relations that are, as he puts it, contrary to nature, he's not talking about what may or may not be or feel natural for any specific person. Now, we use that kind of language today we talk about what might be natural for me as opposed to what might be natural for you, but that's not how Paul is using these words. What he has in mind, as he's already discussed earlier in this passage, is the nature of the world as God created it, the, the natural patterns and purposes of the world as God designed them. And just like Jesus, Paul thought that the pattern and purpose of sexual relations was made clear in the Bible's account of creation. God fashioned men and women in such a way that they would come together, that they would become one flesh, and that from their love and their union, children would be born and given a home. That's what sex is for. That's how things are supposed to work. So when Paul talks about homosexuality here, he's not trying to pick out one sin as worse than all the others. And he's not trying to give a, a treatise on sexual ethics. He's just giving an example to illustrate the nature and character of sin. What he's saying, in other words, is that 
God made the world with a certain purpose and certain pattern in mind. And when God's creatures follow and live into that purpose and pattern, then there's peace and there's harmony and there is justice, righteousness. But unfortunately, that's not the story of human history. Instead of living according to God's pattern, instead of living justly, humans have become unjust and unrighteous. They have forgotten God, their creator. They refuse to honor or fear him or give thanks as they should. Instead, they've turned to other things. They've become their own gods. They've decided to go their own way and live not in harmony with the nature of things as God designed them, not with the grain of creation, but against it. And everything that's now so prevalent in human behavior, from sexual immorality to envy and jealousy to family conflict to abuse and violence, all of it, Paul is saying, is a violation of the pattern and purpose of creation. All of it is deeply unnatural. It's not the way things are supposed to be. And all of it is a direct result of the failure to pay attention to God, to, to give Him thanks, to honor Him as He is due. That, according to Paul, that is the bad news of the gospel. That is the cause and the character of human unrighteousness. And that is why we so desperately need the righteousness of God.